Hello and welcome to Talking Tudors, a fortnightly podcast about the ever-fascinating Tudor dynasty. My name is Natalie Gruniger and I'll be your host and guide on this journey through 16th century England. Are you ready to step through the veil of time into the dazzling and dangerous world of the Tudor court? Without further ado, it's time to talk Tudors. Welcome back to Talking Tudors, episode 143. I'm your host, Natalie Gruniger, and I'm so glad that you could join me. I'd like to begin by acknowledging and thanking the wonderful listeners who continue to support this podcast via Podbean Patron, and extend a heartfelt thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the show. This really does make a difference. If you love the podcast and tune into every episode, perhaps you'd consider becoming a Talking Tudors patron. Just click on the Be My Patron on Podbean badge on the homepage of my website, www.onthetudortrail.com, or click on the Be a Patron button on the Podbean app. Join the Talking Tudors patron family, and in addition to receiving lots of Tudor-themed goodies, you'll be automatically entered into our patron-only monthly giveaways. January's prize is a fabulous Tudor gift package containing lots of Tudor-themed goodies, including the book I created with Catherine Holman, Colouring History, The Tudors. All patrons are also eligible to attend monthly Talking Tudors live talks, which take place on Zoom. These events are exclusive to patrons. Next week, I'll be chatting to Sandra Vasoli and James Peacock about the ways in which Elizabeth I honoured her mother's memory. Please get in touch with me if you'd like to register for this event. You can also support the podcast and share your love of Tudor history with the world by buying Talking Tudors merchandise. There are a number of designs and products available, including phone cases, mugs, notebooks and apparel. Check out all the products at talkingtudors.threadless.com. I'd love to see pics of you wearing or using your Talking Tudors merch, so please do tag me on social media and use the hashtag ILoveTalkingTudors. Now, on to today's episode. I'm thrilled that joining me on the show to talk about the John Blank Project is Michael Ohajuru. Michael is a senior fellow of the Institute of Commonwealth Studies. He blogs, writes and speaks regularly on the black presence in Renaissance Europe and has spoken at the National Gallery, Tate Britain, British Library, National Archives and the Victoria Albert Museum. Michael has been featured in TV programs on the BBC, ITV and Channel 5. He's the founder of Image of the Black in London Galleries, a series of gallery tours, the project director and chief evangelist of the John Blank Project, an art and archive project celebrating John Blank, the black trumpeter to the courts of Henry VII and Henry VIII. He's also co-convener of the Institute of Commonwealth Studies, What's Happening in Black British History series of workshops, and founder member of the Black Presence in British Portraiture Network. Today's musical interlude was contributed to the John Blank Project by the composer and performer Randolph Matthews. To find out more about his work, please visit randolphmatthews.co.uk. <laughs> Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
Welcome to Talking Tudors, Michael. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Very well indeed, Natalie. Oh, fantastic. And I suppose a good place to start would be you just introducing yourself to our listeners and just telling us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm, I'm, 70, I'm 70 this year. I'm retired. Uh, I've, I've retired from a career in communications. I started back in the 1980s when it was all data communications and I finished with the mobile internet. And that, that's all, that sounds like a different planet now. But now I've got two degrees. My first degree was physics, 19, 1974. <laughs> again, another planet ago. And that, and, and that was essentially my, my career, communications. But I did, I did an open university art history degree in 2008. Kind of prepared me for like, almost like a second career. Because what I do now since I've been retired, I kind of follow two things, two routes. One, I try and give back you know, to the, to the community. I do work with, with disadvantaged boys and girls and you know, helping them to be the best they can. And also I follow my, my passion in the Black presence in Renaissance art, which, um, which brings us what, what we're here to, to discuss today, John Blank. Absolutely, John Blank. we are. We're going to talk about the John Blank project. So I suppose it's a good, good time to ask you, what is this project all about and how did it come about? Now I'm going to take a deep breath. How long have we got? <laughs> No, that's a great question. Well, the project came about from my studying the Black presence in, in Renaissance art. And there's two figures we studied extensively then, there's many hundreds of them. One is the Black Magus, the Black King in the Adoration scene. There's literally hundreds, maybe thousands of this image. And, and St. And Morris, the, Blacks, the, the Black uh, Roman Centurion. Again, hundreds, perhaps not as many as the King, but certainly hundreds of that image. But neither of those characters existed. They're complete fictions. They're fabrications. They're built on an idea and an image, an artistic practice. And they have culture, they have cultural, religious, and some political political significance. And, and, and that's what I studied in my art history, the background to, to those figures. But as I say, they didn't exist. And I was working with Miranda Kaufman, Dr. Miranda Kaufman, on a thing called Image and Reality, the Black Presence in Renaissance Europe. Miranda did the um, the reality. She'd studied as part of a PhD many many hundreds of black, uh, black, black figures in, in English history, in, in the English archives. But she only had two images of one person, that was John Blank. Well, I had thousands of images and I love PowerPoint. I'd really, you know, she was quite jealous of my presentation because they were really, you know, because the, these kings were dramatic characters. I can explain why they're dramatic, it's another, another story, but they were really powerful, good looking characters where she had this, this humble, but very precious portraits of uh, pictures of John Blank. So it was that sense that I've got these hundreds of these black guys that didn't exist. And there's two of this, guy who did exist. So then I thought, well, let's see if we can get artists to um, imagine John Blank, another version of John Blank, and then seemed naturally to get 
historians involved. So that's, that's, that's how the project developed in terms of reimagining John Blank. And subsequent to that, it kind of, it became apparent that some people think it's in or inaccurate or inauthentic to have a black presence in Tudor times. So yes. it's a failure of their imagination, you know, so that, that, and that, that re-energized the project. And it's been going almost in its fifth year now. And we've got to tell you this, got to tell you this, got to tell you this. Friday this week, last week, we put up a plaque to John Blank in a blue plaque in Greenwich. The I Naval saw College that on Twitter. That's so exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, you know, it was, it was, it was quite a humbling emotional experience. Because you know, when you've lived with someone. Absolutely, someone, yeah. You exist, and then you actually put the plaque up to it. Really brilliant experience. So now it's um project got momentum, but it's essentially but it's celebrating John Blank, a black figure who have a an image of a very small image of we know a little bit about from the record, and historians kind of an artist kind of recreate big, big up the image. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And and so you said we know a little bit about him. So what do we know about his life? Well, the, the first the first thing we know, we, yeah, there was two images of him. He appears on this Westminster tournament role, and that, that, that that's the fundamental to his celebrity, you know, because yeah. pictures matter now, images matter. Yeah. That's what it's about. Now, one picture can go around the world, you know, but a paragraph <laughs> doesn't doesn't fire anybody. Maybe a headline, yeah. but certainly the picture. Bring the picture has impact and power. So you've got those two pictures. And we know a little bit about him. He appears in the record about seven or eight times, quite fleetingly, being paid wages. And that's quite important in the sense that he wasn't a slave because traditionally people think, well, black people in England, slaves. It's more complex than that, more complex than that. They were not slaves. Perhaps we'll talk about it later on as we talk about the black presence in, in Tudor times. So we've got that presence there. We know he was paid wages. And he, he even had the audacity, if that's the right word, to ask for a wage increase because one of his, um, what, 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 one of the trumpeters had died, Dominic. And he died a, a year or so ago. And he said, look, I want, I want my wage to be doubled, to be paid the same as Dominic. If I'm to continue to do, do, do the things you want me to do in the manner that you want me to do them. And there's quite a, a, an affirmative voice he's got, a kind of confident voice in this petition. Obviously, we don't believe he wrote the petition because we don't believe he could, he could write. Nevertheless, the, the core of the petition is clearly his words. And the scribe took them down and then had the confidence, jumped back at the confidence, saying who, who he was and what he wanted. And the, the king signed it in the, the 78 signature on this document. And this is the ultimate micromanagement, but I guess that's the Tudor court for it or the, the megalomania that is Henry the Henry yes. in terms of his, his need to keep control of everything. Absolutely. And that does give a really interesting insight into John Blake, doesn't it? And into his personality and character, just that little, you know, that little document. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know he, he disappears from the record. He appears in 1507 when he's paid wages, in the accounts in November 1507. And he disappears in January 1512 when he's given a bonnet and some cloth for his wedding again. And this is Henry signing, telling the, the great wardrobe to give this to him. Again, this micromanagement, total control of every part of the, his estate. So he disappears. So he seems to be well thought of and well looked after. Seems to be quite a character. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned before Africa, the African population in 16th century England. I'd love to hear more about what would life have been like for people of Black African descent living in Tudor England? Well, you know, when you gave me that question, you had to think about it. Why do I have to think about it? Because the lives we know about, they were, they were quite mundane. You know, they, they, they were... There was, a, there was a seamstress, there was a, a diver working for, for Drake, David, the driver for Drake, there was, there was another a salvage diver. They were, they were doing just 
quite mundane jobs to the extent that I, I want to turn it around, give you give it in a rather prosaic way. Miranda's done has has a book, Miranda Calvin book, Black Tudors. And that's been quite an influential book amongst teachers to bring the black tutors into uh, into the school, schools, into the curriculum. And one of the teachers, he did a whole seminar on working class black people. Work, no, work, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, working class people in Tudor times. And he didn't tell the, the children till the end of the course that they were black. There was one was that was a milkmaid. There was, a, there was another on, on the cow. There was another worked as say the seamstress. These people doing jobs. So I see they were they were part of society. Not green. You know, they, they weren't lords and kings, as we well know. But they were there doing quite mundane things. The issue is how did they get here? Where did they come from? Because everybody England's an island. Everybody comes from somewhere. So and, and that's the intriguing thing. You know, did they come initially as slaves or in someone's entourage? And some did. We know that. The Portuguese um, ambassador brought brought his his slave with him. So that's the inter- interesting part. But when they when they got here, they just kind of assimilated. They, they they became part of society, and they were all over the country. You know, from from Penzance in in the south up up into Scotland. They're, they're recorded in um, in the parish many parish registers and many records. To the point to the point. One of the things I like to do whenever I go to a village I've not been to, I like to go into the church. And see if I can find the black presence. You know, there's often is because it's there. It's part of the fun of we've got so many churches and there's uh, being retired. You've got time on your hands to do these things. Absolutely, I love that. I love that. And and so John Blank, did he come with Catherine of Aragon's entourage, or is that still being explored? Oh, that, okay. The short answer is we don't know. The long answer is it seems more than likely because she did bring some trumpeters with her. And trumpeters were part of the ceremony of the court in terms yeah. of, you know, here comes the queen's trumpets, there goes the queen trumpets. It was the punctuality, the punctuality, the punctuation, the punctuation of the court in terms of, in, in, in terms of the day. So it would be natural for it to have trumpeters and John Bunn could well have been, because there's a, a traditional history of, of black trumpeters in the, the Spanish court, which dates back to the Islamic court. So yes. it, it, it all seems a good story. A good story. The problem is, let me bring it right up to date here. In the last month, they've discovered a 1488 John Blank footman. Right. Okay, now this is what, what's intriguing here. Intriguing here. Okay, first it's spelt differently without an E. Because my, my, when I say my John Blank, I don't know <laughs> yes. I, I feel as though I do. It's spelt with, with, with an E. Um, B-L-N-K-E. This John Blank, 1488, is spelled without no, no E. And he's a footman, a footman to Henry VII. So there's 1507. That, that's what my John, yep. I don't say mine. You get, you get what I'm saying. You <laughs> get my, what you're saying, John. <laughs> my, my John Blank appears, and I've, I've been working with him, and you asked me where he came from. I, I've given that backstory that we like to give him in Spain. But he could have come from anywhere in Europe because there were black trumpeters throughout Europe, in France, in Spain, in Italy, even in Sweden, you know, the black trumpeters. So he could have come from anywhere. He could have even been born here, yeah. you know. So we don't really know the truth. But then, but this 1488 John Blank really mixes it up because he he was a footman, and the footman was quite a, a, a lowly job in court. In court, as I understand, and but his job was to was literally the bodyguard for the uh, with the king and move with him and literally run alongside <laughs> his court. And I'm told this. They get a good good footwear allowance because they're always running out of boots. Yeah. So what we are right now is trying to well, there's is a is a bad joke coming. We're trying to fill in the blanks <laughs> between the 1488 John Blank and the 1507 John Blank. My problem is, and this is where you get emotional now, and this is where you, you shouldn't do this in history. 
I'm finding it hard to come to terms with that 1488 John Blank and my 1507 because I've got this backstory yeah. that gives them a, 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 a presence which doesn't fit. So I, I've got the one thing going to be the academic story and you, and you embrace this new finding <laughs> and trying to fill in the blanks or the, the, the pieces. But equally, the, the instinctively, well, no, this is my <laughs> That's not my you know, John Blank. <laughs> it, 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 it's a watertight compartment. And, and there's, there's a darker side to that. Some people who won't accept history's changing. They've got this, this is it. History is fixed. And we know history is, it's not fixed. It's, I love what you know, Obama talks about, use the word messy. It's messy. It's not, it's not as beautiful as we want it to be. Not, not as linear. Yeah. Not as perfect. You know, and, and great figures are flawed. You know, we have to accept it in the round. And it's hard. We want it in the square and quite yeah. organized. And this is just take an effort. But you, you know, one has to. So that we're, right now we're coming to terms with the, this 1488 okay. John Blank. We're trying to. All right. Well, watch this space, I guess, and we'll see what else happens. Um, so you mentioned, obviously, that you've been studying Black presence in art of the period, and you mentioned a couple of depictions. Are there any others that you found? Oh, there's there's many, many. There's, uh, I don't want this to sound like a list of things. I'll just, I, I, I just thought, give you some examples. Yes, there's always the most the most the most common one as a, as a servant, most times a slave. Yeah. With the black figures there supporting the uh, his master or his mistress. So you see them there, and you see all the great artists, Titian, Veronese, they, they would have a, a black presence in, in, their, in their portraits, many the portraits of elites. There's also, there's pictures of, um, of guards, of, of, of African guards. There's, you know, there's, there's one of uh, the rec clearly recognizable as, as a, a guard to the Pope, because he's got that, that, uh, that pink and um, purple stripe that, that the Pope's guard had. This is a picture from about the 15th century. It's a black figure there as a guard to the Pope. As I say, we, we know there's musicians, they appear, there's, there's, a, there's several pictures of them, musicians, but not, not just John Blank, but other versions of John Blank playing instruments. What, what, one of my favorites I've just started reading about was about from the Crusades. Now, there's, there's black figures in the Crusades, and, and then really, there's, there's two, one that's seen as the adversaries, the kind of the Moors took over the Holy Land. Really, there were Ethiopians, or there were black Ethiopians who were Christians, who were fighting on the side of the, the white Christians or the European Christians. Um, and th th that kind of leads into the Black St. Morris, because there's some, some historians argue that that's where he came from. The concept of the Black St. Morris came from the Crusades, uh, the Christians, the, the Black Christians that they met in the Crusades. So as I say, those are, those are a few of the images on, on top of the, the, the two principal ones, which are the Black King and St. Morris. Those are the two principal ones. All the great artists, of the periods, the Titians, Botticelli, Veronese, Durer, they all they all have a black magus in their in, in their over and and often and some instance one or two um, ordinary black people like um, I mentioned um, I mentioned Durer there minded he's doing two beautiful little drawings of, of black figures one we actually know who she is Barbara the 15 or something dates gone for me but that's from Antwerp and that it just the typical juror he saw something he liked and yes, wanted, to, yeah. he wanted to, 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 to recreate it a really wonderful drawing he's also got a drawing of a black man dated 1508 some people doubt about 1508 but it's a black one again we don't know who he is it's just a drawing of a black one and I, I have to see that as a kind of a an intellectual exercise for the artist, you know, as Jura did. You know, he, he did one of my, Jura's did one of my favorite, favorite old time paintings called the, or the turf or the sod. You know, it's just a, some grass. 
Mm, I'd have to look it up now. <laughs> I'll write it down. Extraordinary. It is just the sod and the turf. Right. Wow. And he's painted this glass. And the intensity, the greens, the delicate shift in greens and sizes and thickness, it's just, it's an astonishing piece of work. I think, wow. Because for me, that works. To my artist's eyes are different because we, 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 see, we see a piece of grass and it all becomes grass, you know. He can see individual, it's like a self-portrait of individual blades of grass. And the color changes of the length of the, the, the blade of grass. It's just, it's true, it's, it's an astonishing piece of work. I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. No, no, that's good. Now I need to go and um, examine that. It's just a piece of, if you can imagine pulling up a piece of grass, yeah. all the dirt wow. on it, okay. and then paint that. Okay, yeah, that's incredible. And you were talking before about obviously imagination and art. Tell me a little bit more about the role that's played in this project and why it's so crucial. There was um, a podcast a couple of years ago, by um, a, a philosophy podcast, which featured a, a Martha Nussbaum, Professor Martha. Nussbaum. She's an educationalist, and she explained to me why imagination matters. She was really talking about why humanities matter, why the humanities are important. Because she was quite angry, because at the time, it was at the start of when humanity departments were being stripped down, poetry departments, art departments. And we're seeing it today where they're, where they're cutting back on music in schools, when there's no money in this subject. You know, the STEM subject, science, technology, and so on. There's money in them, so we'll invest in them. But we're not going to invest in these, uh, these so-called soft subjects. She made the case for the humanities. And there was three points that she made, which, which, which have burnt into my soul. The first is that the humanities is important because they give you a worldview. You look at the world differently. You walk in someone else's shoes. You look at the different religions, different philosophies, different languages, different ways of life, different worldviews. And in doing that, you question your worldview. You, you, you become critically aware. You, want, you interrogate your environment. You ask questions, why? Now, sometimes you shouldn't ask questions because, you know, your mum said, I don't you're going to smack, no, enough of that. But that, that critical, you know, that, that, that kind of um, critical curiosity, that's important. But then it has to be managed by your imagination. There's a dialogue there between that, you know, that questioning. So you put in your critical thinking and your imagination to work together to see if it's true. We should talk about the arts and how great works of art are produced by that process, questioning your professional idea, like, Question idea in terms of um, an approach to color, different forms of a color. So how how can we use this color to paint a human being? But the artist goes on that critical journey, yeah. asking questions and finding out their reality, creating a reality, and they stretch the critical thing and the imagination to create that work of art. As I say, my first degree was physics, and that was a I was obsessed with the, uh, the arts and sciences, two different planets. And I, I was I was I'm a new age man, bridging trying to bridge it through, but it was difficult. But no. I realized that science works on the same thing. You question your view, and, and then you go on a thought experiment. The one I like to think about is Einstein. He had the idea, what's it like to sit on a light wave? You know, so in his head, he was, I still find it hard to think about that. But, yeah. that, you know, he, he did some great discoveries in relativity and in working on these ideas. So that, that concept, questioning your worldview, so your critical thinking, your imagination, coming up with something. Now, that could be a new scientific theory. It could be a work of art. But that's where imagination is so important. It's, it's very dangerous. What well, I, well, I like to quote, I like to quote Einstein. I don't know if, it, I haven't had to find it, do you actually say this? But I believe it, you get, <laughs> help you get the sense of it. You know, logic will get you from A to B. Imagination will get you anywhere. Yeah. You know, that, that sense of thinking, that, that, that big thinking. So that, that, that's where the imagination comes to the project. And then the yeah. strap line is, imagine the black Tudor trumpeter. 
go on that journey, relax your mind and see, well, what, 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 what could it be like from what we know? So you have to, that's where the imagination comes into the, the project. Sorry for a long answer. To no, no, question. that's great. And I saw some um, drawings that some school children did when that question was posed to them. And they were so fabulous. So, so fabulous. Exactly. exactly. And, and kids have that. Still have got that. This yeah. is imaginative. Whereas we close down, like I'm closing exactly. down about my 1488 John Blank. I mean, I can't <laughs> have that. Whereas it's all, it's all possible. And, yeah. it, it, and it's so hard to relax your mind when you've got so, you know, you bring so much baggage to a situation. It is it's so true. That is so true. And I know having explored the, the the John Blank website, that there are lots of different historians and artists and different people that have contributed. So why are these collaborations so important and such an important part of this project? Well, for me, it's, it's, it's the art and archive. This comes to the art historian comes in because art comes from the archives and the archives come from the art. That makes sense. I like the two working together, one proving the other. This is not a fantasy. We're not making this up. There is no. some kind of reality. Let's go a little bit further. And I like the idea of, of a historian thinking about the work and then just stretching a little bit, going on that journey from the critical thinking, the imagination working. Like his name, John Blank. Where did that come from? So, you know, then Paul Cappington some did an excellent piece that he talked about different forms of John Blank, France, in Italy, and in Spain. And here we have in England, how it was, it was a common name, what that means. But equally, you've got, there's a work by um, Onyeka, and he talks about, he looks forward to a time when John Blank will not be celebrated. It will be seen as, okay, there's a black people That's in normal, touch, yeah, so what? Yeah, yeah. You normalize it. So the, the, the historians give us different views. And then what, what the artists do, they, they, they challenge us in terms of you know, with a visual challenge, because some of the work, some of it is quite challenging. When I say challenge, there's a couple of abstract pieces by some of the artists, you think, what's that? But then this is, that's part of, you know, relax your mind, have a look, go into the work. Somebody, there's one piece, I'm thinking that I hated it. That's oh, it's rubbish, that. You know, it's modern, because I'm not a big modern, I'm a figure, I'm a, I'm, I like Renaissance figures yeah, of art. <laughs> you can recognize you know but i've lived with now for, for a year or two and i've got i've got into the piece because you can see what the artist is going because you know everything is saying something you know because artists have got something in their head they want to get into your head you know and, get, and, and, and it, it, it's working so now that idea of getting artists and historians to imagine to, to go on a little journey and then to help us when we look read their work or look at the um look at their work to try and understand a little better. One thing I'm particularly proud of, and this comes back to my Renaissance roots, is this, I've got a number of poems of poets who've done contributions. And what I love is the idea of, you know, as his, po as his poetry, as his art, because many of the Renaissance artists were struggling to be recognized yeah. as artists, because art was, that was a, it was manual. It seemed they added, they added no value. Yeah. And this, you know, Titian with his poesy, trying to create something from Ovid in, ter in, in terms of a painting taking the literature and the poetry, making a painting out of it. So I like this idea of poetry and painting, talking to each other. So there's poems written by the, um, reflect their version of John Blank. And you can look and read them against some of the, some of the work. So that the works talk to each other. So I think, I think for me, that, 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 that's a particularly important part of the, the project for me, this, this relationship between art and the poetry and art. And then we've even got a couple of rap artists that do pieces. Of, of, from John Blank. Just, just on that subject of rapping, I'm, I'm going on a bit here, but one of the highlights of taking the project into schools, doing workshops, we did what we get the kids to do, to 
we take them through the John Blank, who John Blank was, and then we get them to do a painting or a drawing, and then make a statement, I imagine John Blank. Well, at one school, what the kids did was they, they got together and they got all their I imagine statements, because each artist makes a statement, I imagine John Blank has. And what the kids did, they did a little rap based on all the I imagine statements. And what was so frustrating, and we live in difficult times in terms of our children. I couldn't record it because I wasn't, you're not allowed to of record course, this, yeah. share this information. And you have to get letters from everybody's mom. And then, so we lost the moment, oh. but it was, it was sticking in my mind. There was two, two little boys, three of them doing a little rap at the front of the class there. Because at, the the, at the end of the workshop, we have a little exhibition. Each so we come out with their work and I imagine job and explain their work to the class. So sounds brilliant. It sounds, well, I'm a, I'm a primary school teacher myself, Michael, so I can totally imagine the three kids rapping because kids love to rap. That <laughs> sounds brilliant. Yeah, and now you were, when you were talking about 1488 John Blank, is that connected to the recent discovery that Sean Cunningham's made or is that something different? No, no, that, that's exactly Sean Cunningham and, and the National Archive. He's done some work there. He did the work and he, he was kind enough to share it with me. Yes. Before you published it. And what was so that I first, again, don't believe that, hard to believe. So I wanted to share it amongst some of the, the historians on the project. And what's so annoying, they're all making the link. Yes, that's possible. Hmm, let's have a look at that. You know, I'm an outlier. I'm on my own here. I'm surrounded by people <laughs> looking into it. No, 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 it's good. It's, it's good. What we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to have um, a seminar, a little uh, workshop, hopefully. It's in the, the planning stage where Sean's going to produce a small paper. And then we'll get people to, to comment on the paper and then we'll have a discussion. Some of the historians yeah. in the project to kind of trying to understand or imagine the 1488 Tudor footman, yes. <laughs> black Tudor footman in terms of could he be John Blanks? So that, that, so it, it's gonna it's gonna grow. It, it hopefully will grow in this next legs. And what I find particularly exciting about it, this is history in action in terms of you know having to literally rewrite history and not being afraid to do it. So yeah. and, and and going into the records and saying and just underline the fact history is never complete, it's never finished. You know, there's always bits we we don't know and they come to light, and we just have to re- accept them. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm still finding that hard. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. No, so no, I'm really I'm looking forward to to do uh, hear more about that because I know Sean's doing some more work on footmen Fantastic. in Henry the Seventh Footman to kind of position it in the uh, in in the archives in relation to John Blank. So I wanted to to ask you, Michael, what's next with the projects? Obviously, that um, conference is something. Where do you hope to go, you know, to be sort of in the next few years with this? Well, this is going to be a career year for the project in terms of we're going to hopefully it's going to be an exhibition. I can't tell you. I'm talking with them right now. It's a national national institution and a real institution going to be a, a project which John Blank will be part of. That's going to happen hopefully in May. More details to follow. And to coincide with that, I'm going to do a book of the project, just put it all together. And I've got the idea, because this exhibition will, will only going to be part of this exhibition, will not be the exhibition. Mm-hmm. I want the, I always wanted the project to have an exhibition, a John Blank exhibition. But this is, this, it's pretty close with the National Institute, that's, that's good. But I want, so I've decided I'm going to do this book, and I've got this vision for this art book. There's a book in the, on the great, great tournament role of Westminster that you can buy at the College of Arms for the same price that you could buy it in the 60s when you had retail price maintenance on books. This book was the price of a small car because color printing was really expensive and they used a really state-of-the-art color printing technique with gold, reds. It's a beautiful book and it's 30 pounds. And when I first saw this book, I, 
it's in the it's in the, the rear manuscript section of the British Library. And you have to be watched when you see you, you, it's not it's on the list. You have to go to the desk and tell them you want it. And then they have to watch you looking at it. You can't, so it's so, it so precious. Because this is in the 60s, 30 pounds. That was the price of a small car. It's a beautiful book. Would you believe, do you know how much the book is worth? How much the book is today? 30 pounds. You can still buy it in the comic you want for 30 pounds. And it's a piece of history. Some of the printing techniques, it was very special. So I'm going to use that as the model for the book, for the, the John Bank Project book. So they'll they'll be kind of, they'll complement each other. So I'm looking. I'm, I'm not right now. I'm looking for a trying to work with a designer to design the book. So I want the book to be an object. Yes. You've got the historian's works, the poetry, the pictures interleaved. So it's a the, the book is an experience in its own right. That, that, that's my vision. So this year, the, apart from being on talking Tudors, fantastic. That. <laughs> that's the highlight. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to be. I want to have this exhibition and the book and then i'm gonna i've got to i've got to say this then stop because you know i want to move on i want to move <laughs> i would like to move on no not, not you kind of you can't have enough of john blank but you know enough done the, yeah. the book will be a logical conclusion that'll be the exhibition. Yes. so that, 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 that's it for john blank well it sounds like an amazing year ahead for you and now michael i can't let you run off just yet because at the end of episodes of talking tutors what we do is what i call a little game of 10 to go so just 10 questions to get to know you a little bit better so the first one is what is something you love about where you live well i live in london and oh, it's all here <laughs> you know, you know, it's all here but it, but that's double edged sometimes it's enough yeah. <laughs> it can get too much but I love London with all the great institutions, the libraries, the galleries, you know, it, 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 it's just great. And I've got my freedom pass, you know, so I can just pop in, pop into town and yeah. I get my concession now. So it's all, <laughs> it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's a great question. I really didn't, you know, it was never on my, I just wanted to get to university. That was my yeah. big, my, my yeah. education was very important to my mum and dad. And I just was on that train. I didn't have the, I just be, be educated the way they wanted yes. me to do. And I, I just worked of levels, A levels, university. Yeah. It wasn't until almost the last week of university, I started thinking, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, was not, I was not a career person in the early yeah. days. And what about a book that you've read more than once? Oh, you've got me there. Oh, there's so many. Probably lots, I imagine. <laughs> and, uh, cause I'm, I'm in a book club, in a book club now for over 25 oh. years. Wow, that's and, fantastic. And, uh, I haven't read any fiction books twice. I haven't. I've read yeah. technical. There's my art history books I've read many times, which are quite boring, but they're lovely. You know, I've got um, the, the texts I read more than once regularly. I, the, um, I got the image of the black in Western art. It's a 12-volume book, and I've read that. Wow. Not cover to cover, but I've read that several lots of times. To read a fiction book, that's a great question. No, because I've got so many other things I want to do. I'd like to read books no, twice. Like Angela Lashley, that's a beautiful, you know, Frank Cords, Frank Lashley, that's a lovely book. And what about, what's what would be an ideal Sunday morning for you? It would be breakfast in bed with a bottle of Prosecco with my partner. Oh, that sounds that. brilliant. I love <laughs> we, that. We like that. The, and a proper breakfast, you know, we have bacon and egg <sighs> with, uh, with the rockets and parmesan. Oh, and yes. then we, we have a little special. We're like, we just, I'm, I'm, and we watch a movie together. Just, just that chill. sounds very special. I love that. You sound like somebody who's, you know, enthusiastic about learning and a lifelong learner. So what's a, a new skill that you would like to learn? Wow, a new skill I'd like to learn. But my partner has just got into cold water swimming. 
Oh, yes. This is free free water swim. This is swimming in the sea. And, I, and I'm, I'd like to be able to do it. I'm going to get, to get there, but I just haven't got, you know, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'd love to be able to, I'd like to, because oh, I'd like to do it with her. Yeah. I'd like to try and go. I mean, it's just plucking up the courage to get in because it's so cold. Exactly. I know. It's so oh. cold. Mike, what about the last film or movie or even series that you've watched? Well, funny you should say that. I'm not a great movie watcher. I have to, to me to watch a movie, I have to have great reviews. It must, it must, must, must be a purpose and it must have something yes. like that. And it was last night. I watched um, To Serve It Love by Sidney Poitier. Oh, lovely. Lewin, and it was, oh, it was, it was a great, great actor, Sidney Poitier. A lot, of, a lot of screen presence. But it just seemed, you know, the, the kids seemed so, it was 1960, I think it was 1950s, <laughs> late, uh, late 50s, early 60s. It seemed so dated. But lovely, it's a little time capsule. It was, it was, it was really nice. I enjoyed that very much. Wonderful. And do you have any pets? No, no, no. <laughs> or you don't like them, or you don't. Them. Yes, yes. No, no. I'm not a great dog or a cat person. Yeah. You know, I respect them. I, I, you know, I'm, I admire your cat, your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You probably think less of me now. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm sorry. (laughs) And if now you could instantaneously visit any country in the world, where would you like to go? I was in international sales and I visited practically all. I've never been to South America, been everywhere else, even been to Australia. To be honest with you, I'm through traveling now. Yeah. I've seen enough. I just like, as long as I've got my internet, I'd like to go. When I've got high speed internet and lots of sun, and there's a little island, an island in, in the West, in the West Indies, Karakou. It's one of the great, one of the three Grenadian islands. It's a little small island, population 6,000. Paradise Beach, little house on Paradise Beach. And with me and Ebu, that would be just perfect. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, that sounds like a dream. And what about your favourite, maybe you've got more than one, but genre of music? What do you like to listen to? That, that, I was going to say that, that glib. I like all kinds of music. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I like um, I, I, I like rock music from, from the 70s. Like this, this is the David Bowie, Doobie Brothers, the Allman Brothers. That's my very, very favourite music. And then I've got, obviously... There's there's obviously this Tamla Motown and soul music. Really. Yeah, I like that. But that that that, that music when I was at university, seven seventy one to seventy four, I was listening to listen to something. It always makes me smile. Lots Brings of memories. back memories, hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look lucky. far too young, Matthew. Far too young. To <laughs> oh, thank you. thank you very much. You just earned brownie points for yourself. <laughs> and lucky last question: uh, What would you like to see more of in the world? So I'm going to give you my mum's answer. Love, peace, and understanding. Oh, your mum's absolutely <laughs> correct, isn't she? No, love, peace, and understanding. That's what I'd like. Just more, you know, and, and seriously, you know, this pandemic, doesn't it prove that we're all humans? Absolutely, yeah. You know, forget all, you know, all that nonsense, you know, about I've got more money, I live in a bigger house. We're humans, man. So just respect each other. And, you know, we've all got backstories, we've all got families. You know, that's why we, but we feel for some of the, some of the stories that come from the pandemic, or, you know, that common humanity yeah. that we all have. And when you see, and it, it just amazes me when I, when I tell them the news and in London, people are wearing masks. Then they go to Chile, you know, there's people are wearing masks, Nigeria, people yeah. are wearing masks. Austra- there's something going on. Yes. <laughs> it's connecting us. Yeah. You know, and if we recognize our common humanity, but you know, it's uh, oh, we're not we're a long way from we're all building yeah. borders and yeah. restricting progress and all that stuff. It just 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And one very last thing I promise, and that is what I call a Tudor takeaway. So this is basically just something for our listeners to go off and explore after the episode. Sometimes people suggest websites, songs to listen to, books to read. Do you have a Tudor takeaway for us? When I first saw that question, oh my goodness, no, just John Blank, but no, really no. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's Catalina de Montreal. Catalina Mon- Montreal, she was the black chambermaid to Catherine of Aragon. And she would have been there the night that the, the, she would have prepared the bed for Arthur, Henry's brother, and Catherine to do their business on their wedding night. Yes. And she wow. would have known if the, if the marriage had been consummated. Yeah. She would have took the sheets away. Now, she left the court. And later, when he was trying to marry Anne Boleyn, he wanted to d- divorce Catherine. He said the marriage was consummated. So it would be the, the, the marriage was illegal in the Catholic Church. Because if the marriage hadn't been consummated, then it was okay for him to marry his brother's wife. Yeah. Said, the Bible says that. But he, if the marriage had been consummated, then that means the marriage was illegal and would have, the, the divorce was possible. So they went looking for Catalina. They never found her. But imagine if they had found her. Oh, gosh, thank goodness that they didn't <laughs> find her. I, you know, what would he have done? So, oh. so it, 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 there's a, a beautiful um, uh, webpage about it on the Hampton Court website. So I'll send you the link. Yes, but if please. you Google, if you Google yep. Catalina and Hampton Court, you'll find a website. You'll, you'll see her story. The Black Chamber made to Catherine of Aragon. Thank you. That's a wonderful takeaway. And I'll put the link to, to that on the show notes. And of course, I'll put the link to the John Blank project so that everyone can go and have a look at that as well. That is wonderful. And Michael, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for talking tutors with us. No, thank you. It's been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been great to share my passion because it's, it's not often I get the ability to talk at length. I hope I, hope I haven't gone too, far, too long, but I've very much enjoyed it. You've been, you've been, a, you've been a great question. As I say, you asked us great open questions. Very, very, very much enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Talking Tudors. Thank you so much for joining us. I absolutely love to hear from listeners, so if you have any comments or suggestions or just want to say hi, please get in touch with me via my website, www.onthetudortrail.com, where you'll also find show notes for today's episode. If you've enjoyed the show, please share the podcast with friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I also invite you to join our Talking Tudors podcast group on Facebook, where you can interact with other Tudor history lovers and hear all the behind-the-scenes news. You'll also find me on Twitter. My handle is on the Tudor Trail and on Instagram as the most happy 78. It's time now for us to re-enter the modern world. As always, I look forward to talking Tudors with you again very soon. Mm-hmm.